0: Welcome to the ETV Podcast with Eric the Violinist, a podcast made of conversations with everyday musicians doing amazing things. Today, I talked to Sarah Cook, a cellist who is certified in the Alexander Technique. We get to learn more about Sarah's journey in music and effective ways to use this technique. I hope you enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, uh, Sarah Cook. Sarah, thanks for joining me today.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: No problem. So you're a cellist, and you're certified in the Alexander Technique, which is part of the reason why I wanted to talk to you, because musicians get injured um, on on, on a frequent basis, and I thought this would be a great opportunity to talk to someone who's actually certified and to actually talk about the Alexander Technique. Can you tell us what the Alexander Technique is?
1: Yes. So I just graduated from the certification program at Boston Conservatory at Berkeley, Alexander Technique, believe it or not, is for everybody. To break it down simply, which is a very hard feat to do, you can think of it as learning how to learn. And what that means is learning how to figure out the way that you use yourself in relationship to the external world. So what that means is bridging the gap between what's going on externally and all of your external stimuli, and how you react to that.
0: So you're saying that it's, Alexander Technique is for everybody. It's not just for musicians, even though musicians use this on a regular basis. Alexander Technique is for everybody.
1: It can be. It can be for whether you're a doctor or if you're a dentist, especially if you're doing something physical, bricklayers, or a lot of performing artists use it because they are using their bodies like athletes. And so they want to be in the best shape possible for what they're doing. And Alexander Technique can help with that.
0: So what have you found in Alexander Technique that has helped you specifically?
1: So many things. I think the biggest thing is that it's changed the way that I practice. It's changed how I think about practicing. Often when we think about practicing, we're obviously trying to get everything perfect but we're not thinking about the way that we're using ourselves to achieve what we want. So even though we have to make a shift or even though we have to use our bow a certain way, I think teaching now is slowly changing to become more and more of, well, how are you doing what you're doing? And Alexander Technique for me has really helped to break that down into what am I doing with my arms? How does that relate to the way I'm using my feet? How does that relate to the way that I'm using my overall body? I've been sitting, playing the cello.
0: A lot of it is just being aware, you know, awareness of your body and aware of your surroundings and your environment and how you're reacting and how your body is reacting to those environments, wouldn't you say? Yes,
1: yes, very much so. A lot of it is, oh, so making very quick decisions on what you're doing, whether that you, may, you miss a shift. How do you recover from missing a shift without stopping immediately and being very frustrated in your practice session? Because when you get on stage, you have to recover in a blink of an eye.
0: I want to ask you what top three things you can give advice on for, uh, for players who are struggling with uh, releasing tension or um, just being more aware of their body while they're playing.
1: So the biggest thing that I found very helpful for me is something called constructive rest or lying down work. The easiest way is if you have a yoga mat or if you're comfortable lying on the floor, carpet, or even your bed before night, before you go to sleep, if you can lie down and just do nothing, don't play on your phone, either listen to some music or a podcast for five to ten minutes, and that amount of time where you let your body rest and you're not trying to do anything physically, you're just letting your body be supported by the floor, that kind of rest will allow yourself to be rejuvenated and refreshed for your next practice session. Now, that's number one. Number two is the idea of taking mini breaks. Often when we're practicing, we think, okay, I'll set out an hour. I'll practice for 50 minutes and then 10-minute break, or 25 minutes, 5-minute break. But within that, if you're constantly playing that entire 25 minutes, that's very taxing. If you can find little moments of time, whether it's a rest between a phrase or even recording yourself, and during that time, if you can notice, what am I doing with my body when I'm allowing myself those 30 seconds of rest? Am I holding my arm the same way I would hold my violin when I'm playing? Do I need to do that? Is there a way when I go to retake my bow could I allow during that split second of retake my elbows and my shoulders to rest? You're not relaxing, but you're allowing your muscles to do less work in that quick split second.
0: Yeah, so you're being more efficient. So you're being more efficient with your practicing. You're not you're not practicing the same thing over and over again mindlessly, but you're actually you actually you were you actually, you said something very interesting. You said something about recording your practicing and how you practice, let's say, within the 25 minutes or within the hour.
1: Yeah. So in relationship to recording, I think a lot of people will record themselves and want to improve, and they'll ask themselves the right questions. Because I think with recording technology, we have become smarter, more efficient practitioners. But what we're not doing is during that time of rest during the recording, we're not allowing our bodies to rest in the way that we should be. Whether it's resting the violin and our arm and allowing our feet to really stand firmly on the floor. I think, especially with violinists and violists, if you're standing for four hours, you'll notice when you watch violinists perform, they tend to stand on one leg over the other, which is totally okay. And I'm not saying one is bad or one is good. But to be aware of that, and in those moments where you can allow yourself to come back to both feet, we were designed as humans to be able to walk on both feet. And so allowing ourselves to come back to both of our feet and feel the support of the floor will allow your playing to not only sound more supported, but you feel safer when you're performing.
0: Yeah, and I know for me, because I used to have a tendency when I was you know, growing up playing violin, that I would always be standing on my left leg. And then I didn't realize until I started college is that a lot of the tension from my sound was actually coming from the ground up as opposed to, you know, the surface level, like from my chest up. So I <clears throat> so I think that's important for musicians to realize that a lot of the, the sound actually comes from the ground up. And like you said, it's OK to be standing on one leg or the other. But I what I would also add to that it, what it, what's not OK is to be standing on one leg for four hours is what you're saying, right?
1: Going to do that, you're making the choice to do that. You're not doing it habitually,
0: right? So this this is all great. And what, is there a good resource that people can refer to? I know you have a website. You have a personal website that explains all this Alexander technique um, tips and tricks and any advice. And how can people get a hold of you um, in case they have any specific questions?
1: Sure. So I have a specific website. It's www. S-A-R-A-G-C-O-O-K dot com. And I've actually recently made two YouTube videos about the Alexander Technique. And if you just look up my name on YouTube with Alexander Technique, you'll find them. And then again, if you Google Alexander, there's a bunch of resources available to you. There's thousands of books nowadays. In addition to that, I also teach Skype lessons.
0: Great. So what is your favorite book on Alexander Technique? Do you have a favorite or do you have like a like an author that if people want to get to know more about this technique and being more aware of their bodies?
1: I think for musicians, one of the best resources is the Alexander Technique for Musicians book. It was written by a, a couple of teachers based in London. And then another good resource just for the average person is I think it's called Body Learning by Michael Gelb.
0: Great. So, Sarah, let's let's take a step back, and we've talked a bit about Alexander Technique, but now I want to talk about you. How did you begin with the cello? What is your background in music, and um, what are the what are the few things that inspire you to play uh, classical music?
1: So, I've always wanted to play the cello since I was a little kid. I don't really know why. Maybe it was watching Yo Yo Ma on Sesame Street or going to the symphony but I was a little bit hyperactive as a child. So my parents said, wait, maybe this is a phase. And then I kept asking. So come, we went to a petting zoo and my parents said, ask the cellist there, when did you start playing? He said, fourth grade. So the summer before fourth grade, I learned how to play the cello and I haven't stopped since.
0: That's incredible. So we just recently did a music festival together in Italy and I also want to talk about the importance of chamber music in, um, like, in a festival, in a very intense festival for two weeks that we just experienced uh, less than a month ago. So, actually, I want to tie Alexander Technique. So, if you're sitting for hours rehearsing and practicing and performing, what are what are the few things that are, that's on your mind? Because a lot of it is physical, yes, but what's what do you have to do mentally to get into that zone where okay, I have to be aware of my body, I can't be injured. So what, um, what was going through your mind during the festival when you were um, when you were performing and playing and practicing like pretty much twenty four seven?
1: So I absolutely love chamber music, and I thought that was a wonderful festival. The intensity of chamber music often rarely doesn't happen within festivals because mostly it's orchestra-based, for string players especially, I thought that in regards to Alexander Technique, is the more that you become accustomed to using yourself in the way of the Alexander Technique, you become less inclined to think body, world. It becomes more of a fluid application of the two. And so during rehearsals, the thing that you want to be careful of which I see often even in people that aren't musicians, whether it's talking to people or having a conversation, we tend to go outside of ourselves. And so if we can find the balance between either it's our feet on the floor or noticing our butt on the chair, closing our eyes occasionally, to come back to ourselves and then come back to the conversation. Because chamber music, when you break it down, is really a conversation.
0: Yes, and I want the audience um, who's listening in. Um, you played uh, Beethoven Ghost Trio, is that right? And then you also were you are also a part of a different chamber group. Am I, I right? Played
1: the Franck Quintet first movement piano quintet, as well as the Schubert Sonata in D major.
0: Yeah, so you were a busy person.
1: <laughs> yes, it was quite <laughs> busy.
0: Yes. So you uh, spent some time in Boston and you, got, you, you studied cello in Boston. You got your certificate in Boston. So what what's next for you? What are, you, what are your plans?
1: So I'm headed to Scotland for a master's degree of in cello performance at the Royal Conservatoire of Scotland.
0: Wow, look at you. So how long is the program there?
1: The program there is two years long.
0: Two years. Okay. So, do you have like a five-year goal where you want to stay in the UK, or I guess um, Scotland? I think did did Scotland leave the UK? I forget. Or
1: yeah, they voted (laughs) out,
0: right? So, um, is is your plan to stay in Europe, or planning on going back and pretty much bringing back what you've learned? What's your plan?
1: I think long term, it would be great to open up an Alexander technique practice and have students. In Alexander, we call the people that come to us students instead of clients, because we're all lifetime learners. Um, In addition to that, I think it would be great to perform professionally, whether it's in an orchestra or a chamber group as a cellist. It's a little bit of everything.
0: So you want to diversify yourself. You don't want to be doing just one thing, right?
1: I think that in this day and age of musicians, especially younger musicians, it's important to diversify yourself because if you get stuck doing one thing then whether it's you lose your job or you get bored of it very easily
0: yeah I think that's um that's what definitely attracts me in diversifying myself in my skill set for um for one I love I love all kinds of music to play whether it's a musical orchestra opera quartets I love everything and if you're stuck in one kind of setting then it's really hard to grow outside in different areas You know, professionally, if you just start, like, going into routine of one, let's say, one orchestra job, it's really hard to break that routine and actually find and make time to do other things and other projects that really mean dear to you.
1: That's true, and the second you get stuck doing that one job, it's easy to clock in and clock out. And then, if you're not continually pushing yourself as a person and as a student or learner, then the fun of playing cello or violin and music kind of zaps out of it.
0: But you, you mentioned something very interesting that I want to point out to the audience is that we are lifelong students of music. It's, it's not like you've made it or you are like you're finished learning. You're continuing to learn whether you commission a new piece, which I'm sure you've done. And I've done, we've played in a lot of new music ensembles in the past and continuing to learn from each other and you know, in teaching, and I feel like that's extremely important in our profession.
1: That's true, because in especially music, we play so much music from hundreds of years ago that if we don't keep trying to push the envelope of whether it's contemporary music or changing our performance practice styles, then the music becomes bland and outdated.
0: Exactly. So you actually bring up an interesting point. So how, in your opinion, how do we make music from 100 years ago relevant today?
1: It's hard. It is very hard. I think whether it's coming up with different styles, people will play Baroque music romantically, or trying their best to play it as if we were in that time period. I think a lot of people have very biased opinions of what should music from different eras should sound like. And if we do that, then there's no room for more exploration within that music.
0: Which leads me to, uh, we're running out of time here, so it leads me to my last question here. So I've asked asked—I've asked this on almost every podcast up until this point, and the, the question I want to ask you is, What inspires you to pick up your instrument every day? I mean, maybe not every day. I mean, I had somebody in the past that say, I don't want to pick up my instrument every day. But what inspires you to pick up your instrument in general?
1: That's a very good question. Because there's so many things that do inspire us, whether it's the people that we're playing with, or it's the music itself, or just the general feeling of playing the instrument, the sound that you can create, the vibrations... Especially with cello, it's very fun to just play and feel the vibrations that your instrument makes on the floor.
0: Is there anything else?
1: Um, I think also realistically, which I don't know if I should be saying this, but there are some days where you don't want to pick up your instrument in the same way that people don't want to go to work. But we do it because we want to improve ourselves, both as people and musicians.
0: Right, because once you treat your music as a job, Um, you know, it's not a typical nine to five job. Most of us have jobs in the evening and or in the afternoon. It's not like a set schedule. So there there are days where sometimes we get discouraged because, you know, we don't want, we don't, want um to be playing a particular piece of music or we're discouraged in the practice room because we're not getting something right i know i have that many times in my musical career where i just like leave the practice room frustrated and not not having accomplished anything and yeah there are days like that realistically but i think the bigger picture is to um the bigger picture is to just be positive and look at the macro and the bigger picture like years down the road like doing something that makes you happy is more important than uh, to be doing something where you're stuck.
1: Exactly. And I think too a lot of people view themselves as musicians first. And if you look at the famous artists that we look up to today, I'm thinking cellists, Pablo Casals, Yo-Yo Ma, they view themselves as human first. And we often forget that when we're in the practice room, but if you can find other things to do throughout the day, whether it's seeing friends, whether it's a hobby that you like to do, those kinds of things will remind you that you're human first, musician
0: second. Yo-Yo Ma is a big advocate for that. I know uh, friends of mine who collaborate with Yo-Yo say that he's just an amazing human being. He's just, he always cares for the person first, and then the music comes second. Because, I mean, music exists because we're trying to explore the human condition, right? So that's amazing yeah. in a nutshell. So Sarah, I I want to thank you for taking the time out of your busy day, busy schedule. I'm sure you're packing for Scotland at the moment, and I'm super happy to hear um, that you're going and on a new adventure, starting a new chapter. And please keep us in the loop. And I hope to interview you in the in the future to see how you're doing and what you're doing with Alexander Technique and. How, you, um, how this audience on the ETV podcast can interact with you or learn more from you. So, um, ladies and gentlemen, so Sarah Cook, cellist and certified practitioner of the Alexander Technique, and people who want to know more about Sarah uh www.saragcook.com so that's saragcook.com and you as as well as she said youtube is a great way to find her videos on alexander technique i encourage you to listen to them watch them she's very good at explaining things as i'm sure you just heard throughout this entire podcast And Sarah, thanks again so much.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's been a real treat.
0: Yeah, no problem. And we'll talk to you soon.
1: All right. Thank you.
0: Thanks again for tuning into the ETV podcast. If you like what you've heard, share the podcast and leave me a rating. I want to provide value for you guys as much as possible. And the only way I can do that is if you do these two quick things for me. Until next time, we'll see you later.